how are we going to survive this business of raising kids and you know remaining reasonably intact and sane through the process and i think then it's important for parents to go okay let's divvy up the territory let's let's divide the terrain so basically the school is really important to you but i you know i don't care that much so why don't you take i'll basically back you up i'm not going to argue with you in front of the kids i might sometimes raise an issue quietly i'm a bit concerned about but at the same time you're the one who cares a lot about that i'm sort of uh, i don't know i care a lot about the church or whatever it might be right i'll take the front running on that and you kind of divvy up at the key areas because if, and you don't take on too many. I mean, tricky kids have more energy to put into any battle than any adult ever does, right? And so if you pick too many battlegrounds, you're just destined to failure anyway. So you've got to think about what are your core business messages that you're wanting to get through in that way. Welcome to Imperfect Parenting. I'm Ariel Green Anderson. My name is Matt Anderson. We're bringing you raw, real, and unfiltered stories from around the world. Are you an IP parent? Hey, it's Ariel Anderson here on Imperfect Parenting Podcast, and you just heard Andrew Fuller, an incredible soul who we're going to be talking to today. You're not going to want to miss this. This is one of those to listen to the end because there's so much good stuff in there. He is um, the author of Tricky Behaviors, Managing Challenging and Confronting Behaviors While Staying Sane. And he has written a number of other books, including Tricky Teens and Your Best Life at Any Age. What I love about his book is the way that it's really set up in, in vignettes with, you know, funny cartoons and, you know, boxes and uh, charts for those who need those and quotes, as well as at the back, there's a great resource for teachers, which I have to say, uh, having been a teacher in Prague, I'm very thankful for any little tips and tricks when you're talking about sanity for teachers, because, uh, Tricky behaviors when you're not the parent and you don't have that that lead to be able to set things in motion by example. You have to do it in your own way in your classroom. And I love that he is addressing that because, you know, as a teacher, if you're listening, you spend a lot of time with these kids. And uh, that's so essential to find find your way through to supporting these kids to be the best versions of themselves and feel good in the world. And if you're a parent, then, you know, there's a lot more emotions involved for sure. And uh, we talk a little bit about those stories and the things that uh, Andrew has learned through his background. Now, he is a clinical psychologist and leading adolescent and family health therapist. Uh, he specializes in, uh, you know, how children learn and empowering concentration, focus, and educational outcomes as well as, you know, being a fellow of the Department of Psychiatry, excuse me, and Department of Learning and Education Development in the University of Melbourne. He is an incredible man from down under, author of other books, as we have mentioned, Unlocking Your Child's Genius. I love that. Your Best Life at Any Age and Tricky Teens, as we've mentioned. You know, he was such a beautiful soul to talk to. His experience in working with people and trauma um, shines through in such a beautiful way, such a real way, and just connecting it with real life and getting real about things. It's not just a bunch of preaching, you know, you've had enough of that. I know if you're here that you know that the the work that you do with yourself reflects and and ripples out to your kids. And when he talks a lot about that. We're so aligned in that way. Uh, and you know here we're about... Uh, talking about real stuff in a real way and reminding you of who you are and how important that is and all your beautiful imperfection and how your alignment with self and what you're creating in this world, whether you're doing midlife pregnancy or you're creating a, a new business or using your creativity to support your family or just being the best parent that you can possibly be to allow your kids to be the same. We're echoing that out to the world and, and all the madness and all the craziness inside the house and outside the house, you know, all that we do together 
Um, what you do and your path does make a difference in what happens and how things feel in the world. And if we, if you can be happy and feel like you're in the right place and you're doing that also with your kids and they echo that out into the future, what, what an incredible accomplishment and feeling that is to, to feel that way and be that way in our lives and whatever age, right? So without any more hesitation, I want to just dive right in to talking with Andrew Fuller. Welcome and let's go. Hello, Andrew. Good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. Not bad. Good. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Northern California. Uh, uh-huh. near the beach and the wine country and the redwoods beautiful i'm at the moment in queensland where the surf is rolling in and the sun is shining it's good <laughs> oh lovely which part of queensland are you in uh burley heads just near the, the southern uh border it's great nice i spent some time in cairns and and up towards the end of the road oh fantastic up towards uh cooktown and that area yeah, yeah. Just before it's you great. need to get a four-wheel drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wanted yeah, to visit great. with a with a Great Barrier Reef and nature and quieter zone. So uh, you're in a gorgeous part of the world. It's fantastic, isn't it? So we're very lucky, as are you, of course, which is great. <laughs> so yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean, there's just so much. I I, uh, I loved reading about the bits that I got. I know your book is coming out and we're going to talk about that, of course. Um, But I would love, well, before we fully dive into so many of the ideas, which are so close to my heart, I have to say, as a parent, as a person on the planet, as a previous teacher. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I used to work as an international school teacher when I took a break from the corporate world uh, and the coaching world, actually. And I I learned a lot. I had taught here in the States, but the international system was really interesting to just watch the cultures and how different people and little and big uh, work with things. But then really it always coming down to the, a lot of the core things, which, you know, you dive into, but before we go into that, I would love just to share with our our listeners um, part of your own journey up to this moment, to this book, as far as you Mm. as a person Mm. and you as a, both professionally and, and personally, what you want to share that, that yeah. brought you to the moment of this book, because uh, that's always an important piece, I think. Sure. Okay. Let's, you want to be here with that or? Just okay. dive in. <laughs> I like to keep it more of a conversation than a, you know, I have yeah, cool. questions, but I, I like to see how it flows, you know? Yeah. So it's great to be with you. I'm Andrew Fuller. Uh, I work as a clinical psychologist and I've been doing that for quite a while now. And I started out my career working in psychiatric crisis teams. So I was on bridges and in siege situations with people who are often uh, contemplating, you know, tough times and the really rough hours of their lives. And I got really interested in a concept which at that stage was relatively unknown, but which is now so well known, this is almost unbelievable. That's the concept of resilience, which is a word that's used everywhere now. But in those days, it was not used very much at all. In fact, I'd talk about resilience and people would talk about steel and tension and that kind of stuff. And so I got really interested in what stops people getting to that point in their lives. And really, I suppose that then led me on a sort of, if you like, a, a path of working with younger and younger people to think about how to create futures they can fall in love with, really, rather than ones that end up in despair and uh, there's no point moving on with their lives. So that's really been the mission of my life. Mm. It's really powerful. I actually, when you said the piece about it being a mission in your life, I got a chill up my spine a little bit, you know, because <laughs> that uh, it's not just about something you're, you're studying, but, you know, I, I love how you're, there's that connection of, um, the other end you know we're, we're talking about children and young people today yet you know you were on the other end and it's like how to, to to take them on that journey to not be at that crisis point that you were talking about that's really powerful 
So as part of that early research, one of the things that I did was I interviewed a whole lot of young people in their 20s who'd had really tough childhoods and had come through it okay. And I was asking them, well, what was going on at that point when things turned around for you? And while having um, obviously a family that was good was useful, at least one family member who liked you and loved you, the second one, <coughs> excuse me, was having a, a bit of a diversity of friendship groups. But the third one was having an adult outside their family who looked beyond the smokescreen of their behaviour and saw something in them that they probably couldn't see within themselves. And basically, beyond all reason, believed in that part of them. And that was so powerful that eventually I come, came to think of that as those adults and they usually were adults, um, were giving that young person a gift that they'll spend the rest of their lives unwrapping, really. That's how powerful I think that is. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It's interesting because that, for me, was one of the favourite things I had at working at the school because I wasn't a regular teacher. I was a substitute. And I would come in and there would be the kid and I would always get the list of the trouble kids. Uh, and I always ignored that you know I'd say okay thank you <laughs> but let's see what's really happening here and I, I usually often would just stir up a lot of things because I I think it is really valuable to come in with fresh eyes and well, see them right. I mean, differently yeah. <laughs> you know? so many of those troubled kids are tricky kids or troubled kids but they're smart kids they're survivors yeah. they're street smart they've got all the cred they've got all the get up and go, the gusto to get on with life. I mean, they're, they're not the kids that are going to sit there quietly and basically go, yes, sir, no, sir. They're going to spit in your eye and kind of, well, you know, threaten to kind of punch your lights out if you have to. Um, but they're, they're survivors. And learning about the spirit in those kids and how to mobilise that makes an incredible difference, as I'm sure you did in those schools. Well, I, I'm, I love that you're bringing that up because I know that that's a key part of what, you know, what you're about and what you're writing about. Uh, and I think that, do you agree that part of it as an adult working with these young people that are probably gifted and either street smart or smart, smarter, but just challenged by the, the traditional system is part of it that adults have to sort of let go a little bit of their, their ego or um, uh, that piece about, you know, respect looks like this, or kids are only supposed to fit in this box. I found often there's this push-pull uh, around how kids should act and should do, and and in a little bit of loosening of that, there can be a um, being able to see that perspective that you talked about about going a little bit deeper as to why the behaviors are happening and be able to start down a road of <laughs> another direction with <laughs> things. Yeah, it probably helps if you've been a bit of a tricky kid yourself when you were growing up. I think that's, that does help a bit. So, and I certainly was one of those. I don't know yeah. about you, but, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, to share you a, a very brief story about that, uh, when I was at school, they still delivered bottles of milk, which is a dreadful thing to do because they'd sit in the sunlight and warm up and be just disgusting by the time kids would drink them. Right? And so, what? but I had a job school which was to guard that milk right? so I would sit out most mornings on these crates of milk just waiting protecting them in case somebody stole the milk and it was only years later that I realized nobody was going to steal that milk really I was <laughs> some, some <laughs> wise teachers said, get this kid out of my class um and so that helps I think and so something in, to be responsible before right <laughs> that's, that's that's right and so what I, I guess if I just translate that back to your, your comment, which is that connection is much more powerful than respect. And so if you can form a real connection with kids and link with them in a way that might be sparky or different and a bit unconventional, even though they might be feisty and difficult, they are incredibly respectful once they've formed that connection. And that connection is incredible. It's a matter almost of honour. And they're the kids later on. So these are often the kids in schools that I'll sort of say, would you mind helping me buy? And I'll go, no, I'm not doing that. I know I'm not going to help you. And I just, but I'll keep going at them. Go, oh, yeah, okay, would you mind help with this? No, would you help? And I may never get them to do a damn thing, right? But 
But these are the kids that years later you meet in the street somewhere and they go, you're the idiot that kept asking me to do stuff. And I would kept saying, no, but there's a bond, there's a connection. And there's a sense that by asking people for some assistance, you're respecting their contribution, I think. I like, oh, that's really about the contribution. Exactly. And it's very similar at home, I think, as well. It's that being willing to keep going, even when you're, in a sense, if you want to say rejected or, or put off, but keeping going and knowing that that connection and being asked. And uh, as you said, like what their contribution is, is, is still being uh, attended to in a way, even if they don't hook into it. That's really cool. Yeah, so I think in, in families, we want to create a culture of cooperation. And cultures of cooperation don't occur by accident. You, they occur when you create them. And the first thing, obviously, that basically what we do is we basically model respect. So it's hard to expect respect if you're not going to model it. So we're modeling desired behaviors. But then we're also basically asking for small favors all the time. Would you mind help pass the salt? Would you mind doing that? And you may not get compliance at all, ever, but just by continually coming back, not every time, but every so often and asking, I'm giving a message that basically here, this family collaborate, they cooperate, they help one another out. And that's the, that's the pitch, that's the expectation of that family. And I think that's a really important thing because it's so easy to say, well, I won't ask him because he's always difficult and I'll just ask the other one or, you know, we give up on kids. And often kids that are a bit tricky don't get asked to help anybody. And that's a mistake. Absolutely. And that, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I know we see inside of our family, we have, you know, all kinds of dynamics. We have bonus family and, and, you know, our, our family between the two of us now, my husband and I, yeah. uh, what do you suggest for, how can I say it <laughs> politely? Maybe I won't be totally polite. Like my husband and I have very different ways of doing things. Yeah. He's more like, let's not have conflict. So let's not hold that line. Let's just keep it easy. And I'm more that I, uh, I all, I definitely was more difficult than my mom was willing to admit. And I remember <laughs> a lot of what you're talking about, how important that is. I remember that they hear more than they acknowledge. They look like they're not listening, but they are. And that there's so much uh, that these kids have to offer and just by getting them involved, they get to build that confidence, show what they have to do, you know, offer as you've been talking about. But what do you do? What do you suggest to parents who, who do it differently? I'm asking, I'm holding the line. I deal with the suffering of the no and the defiance because our daughter's just turned five. So yeah. we have that extreme little person intensity uh, for sure going on. And, you know, he's more, uh, I give up, you know, this is too hard. Mm. And then that has its own, you know, repercussions. But what do you do when you have different um, value system? I guess I don't know how you want to put that, but you're still trying to move in a particular direction, like you're talking about, as far as uh, getting them to be collaborative. But maybe both parents aren't on the same page. How do you suggest in a household to work with that? And maybe from his side is too. It's seeing that I have to be the one. He doesn't maybe always like what I do, but. Of course. So I think there's, there's two things to that. One is that there's a, a family that came from Germany that I worked with who told me that there is a gesture in Germany, which is very common, which is this. And what that basically means, I don't know whether it's popular where you are, but, yeah. and it's, but it's sort of like, no, 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 no. But secretly, yes, I really like to hear it. And so we want to think about what are the messages that despite the no, 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 that we want to have getting through. And so often while the styles of parents will be different, the, the core messages that we love you, that we think you're great, that we think your, capa your capacity is going to be terrific, all that kind of stuff is, um, is pretty consistent. So in some ways that's more important than the, the management of a particular issue. And then I suppose the second part is while lots of parenting books that I read basically applaud the idea of consistency, that somehow we should sit down together and we should get a kind of compromise position, which probably pleases nobody. Um, <laughs> <you> know, the, 
somehow we'll all end up in agreement and we'll do it consistently the same way. And I've got to tell you, in all the families that I've seen, and I've seen a lot of families, that never, ever, ever, ever works because people come from different tribes, right? And those tribes have different rules. And so as much as we can try and demolish our previous tribe to form a new tribe, our family, it doesn't always work. And so then you've got to go, okay, well, if our, our, our tribal rules are different, which they are, how are we going to survive this business of raising kids and you know, remaining reasonably intact and sane through the process? And I think then it's important for parents to go, okay, let's divvy up the territory, really. Let's, let's divide the terrain. So basically the school is really important to you, but I, you know, I don't care that much. So why don't you take, I'll basically back you up. I'm not gonna argue with you in front of the kids. I might sometimes raise an issue quietly I'm a bit concerned about, but at the same time, you're the one who cares a lot about that. I'm sort of, uh, I don't know, I care a lot about the church or whatever it might be, right? I'll take the front running on that. And you kind of divvy up at the key areas because, if, and you don't take on too many. I mean, tricky kids have more energy to put into any battle than any adult ever does, right? And so if you pick too many battlegrounds, you're just destined to failure anyway. So you've got to think about what are your core business messages that you're wanting to get through in that way. I, my husband is going to love listening. He's my editor. So he's going to be just like, Thank you. No, because it's so true. It's so true. And we, we have a fighter. She's very clever. She's very um, aware, detail oriented, and she, she will hold the line for a long time to keep her point. But I love that you're talking about this divvying up. It reminds me of, you know, the first time, you know, you have roommates and it's like, what do you love doing? Oh, you actually love vacuuming? Ew, I'll do the dishes. That's fine. I, I, this is great. And I, I think especially you, you really brought up, a, um, you know, about the intercultural piece. My husband is Swedish and we've been living in the Czech Republic in Prague till recently. So we've got all these cultures um, around and I, a lot of our listeners are intercultural relationships. And even if you are the same supposed culture, I think each personally, we have our own cultures <laughs> unto us. So yes. I, this is really important stuff that you're bringing up because I think that that's where there's breakdown in the relationships. And you're seeing that especially now when everybody's been smushed in together, a lot of people into the same space. Those things are really coming to a head of the, the right way in your way. Mm -hmm. And then the kids are reacting to that as well as their own stuff that's going on. And so uh, I really appreciate this perspective to kind of get you guys listening out there because uh, this is one of those things where you, you're trying to fit yourself in the box of what the books say you should do. And it's just doesn't, it's just frustrating you more. <laughs> and then it just echoes out through the kids and the relationship and that household, which. Uh, yeah, it also know. means that basically from re in recent times, we've almost had both parents where there are two parents in the family trying to do everything all the time. And that's not the way it used to work. I mean, basically, there were kind of, there were departments you'd go to, go and talk to your mother about that, go and talk to your father about that. <laughs> and that was kind of easier for the parents. They knew their terrain and they could kind of go, okay, that should be moved to the other side. Now, obviously, there had to be a big give and take around that. But at the same time, you do see, I do anyway, in my work, a lot of exhausted parents who just are trying too hard to be everything to their children. And it's just not possible. There are times you just got to, I know nothing about that. I've got no idea. And, and that's that true. The, the exhaustion piece is a big, we noticed that the, the, the snapping that didn't happen before this last year, really uh, too much or before our transition, which we actually started before the crazy world thing uh, is usually when we're tired, either she hasn't had a nap I haven't had a nap. <laughs> My husband's yeah. been working all day. <laughs> and, and that's when the, it's usually like, I need time to myself or I don't know, or I don't want to have to deal with that. That's not my, my, where I find joy. So uh, yeah, that's <laughs> one of those things we need to work with, especially in these days when there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion and stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, the, world's, the world is dysregulated, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. And so basically, one of the key predictors of lifelong success for anyone is your ability to regulate or calm your emotions when you're upset and out of sorts, when you're feeling anxious or avoidant. 
So those are often both expressions of it. Sometimes I want to be really frenzied. Other times, you know, they're not going to listen to me anyway, so why should I bother? But both of them are expressions of anxiety. And learning to regulate or calm and bring yourself back to that sweet spot, if you like, the resilient spot, um, is an incredibly important thing to do. And the people who teach kids to do that are parents. But the people who can't, you can't do it when you yourself are out of that zone. So <laughs> the problem is the first person to manage in any family is not the children, it's the parents. Because once the parents get in that zone, the whole culture of a family shifts. And it's, it's tough to do because, of course, people want to go, well, it's the kids' fault. They'd be, <laughs> if they stop getting angry, it'll all be fine. But really, we've got to lead the way. We've got to role model what we want. Yes, yes. And it's, and it's so often, uh, it's one of the things that comes up over and over again with my own clients and my circle is that, but I've been, I've been managing, I've been, you know, it's all about what they've been showing on the outside. And then I'm always asking the question of, okay, I hear that you've been smiling and upbeat with your child, but what's really been going on? You know, they feel it. They feel that tension under the surface of your fears and your worries. And they hear the little conversations you think they don't hear and all of that. And I think that is a really big piece is that what you're talking about. It's funny. I was just talking to a group of moms not long ago at a, at a tennis lesson. And, you know, they were saying that for them, the right way was just like lots of drinking of wine to be able to manage. And I said, that's great. No judgment for me. It's the opposite. I need to get more sleep, less drinking, more eating in order for me to ground personally, no judgment. I like to have my wine and cocktails sometimes too, but right now, the more grounded I am, the more I can be available to her to also have, you know, for it to ripple out to her is what I want mean, my daughter and the world and my partner. And I think that's, you know, we all have to find our own uh, way to that grounding, whether it's meditation or running or talking to one another or sleeping, whatever it might be. Right. But what. Uh... So it's sort of whatever makes you sane really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is why so, I love that exclamation at the end of your book title, you know, like, <laughs> yes, it's an exclamation point. You know, it's, it's really, it is really important. And I think uh, I would love for you to, to dig in a little bit more there because I think, you know, what we're talking about is any day, any time in the lifetime as a person, as a parent, as a child, uh, because occasionally we do have young people listening here there's just so much life is complicated. Humans are complicated. And what you're giving are everything we're talking about here that you're putting out, you're sharing with us is a, is a gift, a little package that we can work with to try and make things better. Like that bridge that you were talking about between right now as people are, these young people are evolving to adults that they can, you know, be in a joyous life that they choose versus, you know, wanting to leave here. Um, But right now in this moment as well, with the tension and the uncertainty and this open, close, open, close, we're starting to open now. And there's a lot of tension around that. Like, yay, we're opening. The doors are opening. The gates are opening slowly. Uh, But I think there's fear. And I know that we've got the young kids. I'm seeing um, a lot of tantrums and acting out, but there's also, my daughter was the most outgoing person in the world. And now she's, you know, more withdrawn than she used to be. She's a little more cautious, which is okay. That's what it is in the moment. Uh, you know, and we are able to talk about some things, but she's still young. It's, there's a energetic tantrum, but I'm also seeing that, that people with, there's a, such a surge in suicide with young tweens and teens that is just terrifying. And I know that there's, it's not only what's been happening, but where we're moving into it's still uncertainty and unknown. And I know there's a lot of parents, they don't even feel they can talk about this stuff because it's, you know, there's a, the imperfection of it all, you know, it's like, what I, what am I doing wrong that my kids are tantruming or, or that my kids are, you know, looking to end their lives because things are so different and uncontrolled and, and uncomfortable. What do you tell those parents? I mean, that's, that's a really huge topic, of course, but you know, you're, you're talking with so many people and your, your book is, you know, ab- about this. I mean, what would you, Sure. Suggest. So, um, 
where to start? So, I'm not sure whether people are generally familiar with the term allostatic stress, but they know it whether they are familiar with the term or not. So let me explain it. So basically yeah, all please. of us have sometimes <laughs> scraped an elbow or cut something and gone, goodness me, I'm bleeding and, and gone into a kind of minor, oh dear. But there's other times when you accidentally cut something or scrape something and it's only later that you go, oh, wow, well, I've, been, I've been bleeding. What's going on here, right? Um, and what we're seeing now is that delayed reaction. So we're, it's almost like you've had an injury and you're only just realising it now. And that shows up in a number of ways. So what we see are people are weary. They're tired. They're just, they're a bit crankier. They're a bit grumpier. They're not their normal sweet selves. And they wear out their social muscles. Their social skills are a bit rusty. And so I give lots of talks to, to lots of parents and kids and so on. Where as normally we would go for about an hour and a half, after 40 minutes, they've had enough. And I, I started thinking, well, maybe I've just become more boring. But I think, well, perhaps it's my ego, but I, I actually think it's just that they have, uh, they're just out of, out of touch with spending so much time interacting face-to-face. -face. And so for that reason, it's important for those parents to realise that a little bit of them goes a long way. So drip feed parenting is much more important than deluge parenting, you know. So you've got to think, okay, well, again, what are our core messages? What, what are the things that are really important? And then how do we put those into our family life? And to realise that we don't have to show up to every argument that we're invited to. Now, your children will invite you into lots of disputes and arguments because in a way, it's a way of offloading their anxiety is to have an argument with mum or dad about something. It's sort of, they know that game and they know that it works out in a way that they get a bit of attention and so on. But you don't have to show up to every battle, which is, I think, an important thing just to think about. Well, okay, there are some I should go, I can see you're upset. That's, that's a shame. And move on. Now, in terms of families, the long-term aim is to make misbehaviour the abnormal state, not the normal state. Because when misbehaviour is the normal state, it's hell to live in, right? Nobody has a good time. And some of the things we have to consciously, often in our families, is re-kind re of dig it so that we move from where we've all had a bit of a tetchy time, things have been difficult, and now we need to move back into treating this as an abnormality, not a normality. And that's a shift in the family. And it's a shift in the language of the family. And the shift is from largely from why to what. Now, obviously, as parents, we'll still use the word why, you know. But when we use it a lot, it becomes interrogative. Why'd you do that? Why aren't you ready? Why isn't the homework done? Why didn't you get that project in on time? Why did you hit your sister? Blah, 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 blah. Right? We all do some of that. We still will. That's okay. Don't guilt out. It's all right. <laughs> we have to do that. But every so often you want to stop in your tracks and go, hang on, rather than why, what's going on for you? You're not normally like this. What's happening for you? Are you okay? What's happening? And then you might want to use an acronym that I talk about in the book of HALTS, which is basically ask yourself or even ask your child what's going on for you are you hungry are you angry are you lonely are you tired are you stressed what's going on for you and so what you're doing then is mislabeling or relabeling misbehavior as something's wrong rather than basically there's a battle to be had and that changes the meaning of misbehavior in a family. And it also changes and upgrades the level of kindness. Because even if you don't ask your child, are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, just thinking it gives you a, a pause to go, hang on, what's going on for this kid? And what's sometimes what's going on for me as well, because <laughs> I might be hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, and then <laughs> just to solve that. And that's important because I think we all know this in our heart of hearts, and then we kind of forget it. So anyone who's ever a parent of a preschool child or an early grades child knows this. You see a kid come home from that age school and they're like a bear with a sore head. They're, they're sort of got a dark cloud over their head. And you're going, okay, what am I going to do with this kid? And so you think, okay, what are my options? Do I ask them how their day 
preschool or, or primary school or whatever it was, junior school was, or do I be stick something in their mouth and feed them and ask them that question in 15 minutes' time? And it didn't take terribly long to experiment we realised that basically sticking something in their mouth and feeding them was a far more effective response, right? And then you grow up and you think they've got words now, so I should talk to them. But in some ways, they're still back. That part of the brain that's primitive is basically needing to be fed or rested or whatever it is, and then we can talk about it later. So we live in a world where often we have sort of been sucked into believing that words are the answer. And really, the, most of the behaviours that are difficult in families require action or sometimes no action at all and no words and then talk later. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned this because we don't have all of those, but of course it's I think a little easier and more obvious, as you mentioned, when the kids are smaller, because the reaction is so much more, how do you want to say, um, huge, you know, there's the screaming or whatever when they're little uh, versus later when people are like, oh, they're just a teenager, but probably they also need the, you know, the food and all the things you were talking about. I know that uh, my husband and I go through that. He'll, he'll say, I asked her if she was hungry. I'm like, no, 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 she... <laughs> She doesn't want to think she's hungry or tired. You just put a pillow down if she's tired and you see it or just gently, you know, even just next to you, put a little bowl that's pretty with some, you know, raspberries in them and she'll just like a little mouse come and take it. But she yeah. doesn't want to admit that, you know, these things are going on. Don't ask. She doesn't even want the question, you know, someday, someday she can, but you can tell that line. Yeah. So yeah, it's great that you're reminding of this really, uh, you know, it's, it's so primal and basic, but we do forget it. We think yeah. it, we make it more complicated sometimes and then, then we don't figure it out and it just gets worse and it spirals out of control. Um, and on both sides, even that parent, parent who's yeah. not calm is suddenly goes out of control as well because they're thinking nothing I'm doing is working or why isn't that, you know, whatever the words are that come. <laughs> Parenting a five-year-old is like attending an ongoing opera show. Well, everything's dramatic. It's all kind of, you know, and so everything's, every emotion becomes heightened. It's incredible. And so it is like you're in an Italian opera. It's fantastic. It's dramatic. And then, of course, you realise you can join the opera or you can just cut up a slice of apple and say, here, eat this. Exactly. Or, a pillow. And, and then Lie down like with you me. Like you said, and then think to myself, do I maybe need Apple as well? You know, like you were saying before. Absolutely. And uh, and I appreciate I I try to tell myself, I hope I can remember this when my daughter or other kids I'm around, you know, that are bigger when when the, the next phases come to remember this moment of, you know, the extremeness, because, uh, you know, it might be as simple as that. So uh, thank you for mentioning that, because I think one of the biggest struggles that I'm seeing parents around me having is, is about this, that they're just distraught with exhaustion from having not just one, but usually often multiple kids around and there's power struggles and extreme behavior and, uh, and uh, not knowing really just getting angry some of these parents I'm watching like just getting angry themselves about the situation like oh they always have to defy me or they always have to you know I had somebody this weekend who was saying oh there she goes this is what she does she just has to she can't just agree ever and I and I'm always thinking like so what's really going on there you know it feels like a mystery you know how can we dive into this and and here you know figure out more is there too much control is there you know what is really happening you know, not that it's my business, but I'm always curious anyway, as to the, like you were talking about the root cause, because uh, it's always more than it seems. I mean, not always, sometimes it's the food, but once you go through the, the whole, I mean, you're munching, you know, then it's like, hmm, what's really happening here? Uh, oh, but you can't yeah. get to what was happening until you've done the food or whatever it is to settle. So you're not going to hear the accurate information anyway. So you got to realize, okay, first job, settle them down. Then yes. you can talk. Whereas often we're thought by talking, we can settle them down. And I think that's a false, that's a false argument. And what that yes. means is then parents get too involved in every little upset that a kid has. And that's crazy because you just end up wearing yourself out. So part of the art of parenting is equanimity. 
And equanimity means being able to have a learn to take your sails out of their wins. Now, children have lots of wins and dramas and all sorts of things are going on. Life is a continual kerfuffle for a kid, right? Because they've got to sort stuff out and they're relatively powerless. But you, on the other hand, as an adult, have power and you have influence. And so some of those battles, as I said, are worth involving yourself in. They're important. But there are others that you're going, okay. Okay, really, here's a chance for you to learn how to calm yourself down from basically doing this by me not joining you in that drama, but by helping you to kind of learn, go and have a bit of apple, let's go and lie down and we'll talk about it later. That's a really important lesson because you don't learn to regulate your emotions or calm yourself down by yourself. You learn it by being with somebody who knows this stuff, right? And... Of course, there are times when we know this stuff and times when we don't, we forget it. Um, but just somehow in the back of your head going, okay. And it's important if you're the parent of a 15-year-old because really what you're doing is subtracting 10 years from their age and going, I'm really dealing with a five-year-old now. What do you think? I mean, when, when the, someone doesn't do this when they don't either they've, they've tried some food, maybe they haven't found the thing to calm them and things start to spiral out of control. Like the kids are just getting more and more wound up. Like I, I even have my moments where even though I try to be super conscious as a parent, my daughter will get to where she's just, she's so focused on being angry, but it's probably mm -hmm. there's something else going on, but where they get really wound up. I know in our house, I've, I've discovered some, activities that are calming that I don't even ask her about. Like I start to do a puzzle or I wash dishes, something that's kind of not using the brain, as you were saying, not talking about it anymore, but just doing what, what suggestions would you have for people when they think when the kids are getting kind of just wound up and they, and there hasn't been that, you haven't found that thing, the apple isn't working or they're not accepting that. Do you have any other suggestions? Do you just stand back? I mean, in our house, we've started, well, in the last year, especially really enforcing the, the knowledge, you know, even when I'm upset with you, even when I don't like, I don't always like what you do, but I will love you no matter what. I mm. always love you, but I don't always like what you're doing. And vice versa, I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, we'll have that conversation, even with my five-year-old. And she gets it. She'll say, Oh, you didn't really like when I did that. Not really. That hurt my yeah. feelings, but that's okay. You know, yeah. I still love you. What, what other things would you suggest to people when things kind of get really out of control and they themselves are not feeling grounded? Do you have anything that you suggest? Sure, sure I do. Um, I guess before I talk about neurochemistry, which is fascinating, um, let's just talk about anger for a moment. Because yeah. we, are, we often live in a world where we're very frightened of anger. And anger is actually a very powerful and it can be a very positive emotion. We don't think about it this way. But what anger signifies is that you care a lot about something. Now, the way I think about anger, it's like a fortress. So when you use anger effectively, it strengthens you. You become stronger in the face of it and you become clearer about what you really care about and what you see as an injustice in the world. And that's an important skill for anyone to have mm. in, their, in their life. So there are times in our families where there are injustices. Now, so teaching kids that it's okay to be angry, but to use, to talk about this fortress idea, because otherwise what happens, you see some adults I'm thinking of now, where they don't, they've never learned to do that. So they're often, they're too scared of anger to be angry. Or when they become angry, they kind of, they, uh, they weaken their fortress. They kind of, it's your fault, it's your fault. They kind of, everything gets scattered. And so they okay. never actually make a, a powerful statement about anything, really, if it makes some sense. Yeah. Yes. And so teaching kids that it's okay to be angry, but you need to come back and tell me what it is. So one of the ways that I think about families is that it's like an ongoing debating competition. 
So in most families, there are two debating teams. One team want things to change and the other team want things to stay pretty much the same, right? And so the team that want things to change say, I want to stay up later, I want to play more, I want to do less schoolwork, I want to hang out, I catch up with my friends, I want to play computer games, blah, 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 blah. The other team, usually the parents go, you're not old enough, it's a school night, we need to get to bed on time, blah, 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 blah. And the, the battle between change and not change that a family does is the way that a family develops. And so if there are no arguments in a family, there's no growth. So the kids, the, the people who drive growth in a family are the kids, because they're the ones who are questioning the status quo of the family, right? Now, <laughs> which is pushing the limits, pushing the limits, the boundaries. Well, <laughs> but that's how the world changes long term yeah. because by yeah. younger generations going, stop that rule, we're going to change it, which is exactly what we want for lots of the things in the world. But we could divert into that, but we perhaps won't. Now, obviously, you've got to manage that so it doesn't become destructive. And to do that, it's worth then thinking about what lies behind the behaviour. And of course, there's all sorts of personal issues behind behaviour, but what really drives most of the behaviour in families are the neurochemicals washing around between the synaptic openings of kids. So a lot of behavior is not conscious. It's actually unconscious. And understanding neurochemistry helps you then to kind of change things. And I don't know, is it useful to go through some of this with you or? Oh, I, I actually wanted to ask you about some science bits and neuroscience. I am very excited that you're going down this route because it's it's a, yes go 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 yes please so let's talk about four of them now the first one is dopamine and dopamine i love because dopamine is the party animal of the neurochemical world it basically it's the one that's sort of gung-ho you know let's get on with stuff and so basically it we'd like to, in our lives and our families to have more dopamine because basically it gives us motivation it gives us pleasure and often and the things that will increase it are things like challenges, problem solving, quizzes, puzzles, guesstimation games, um, social interaction, but particularly rhythmic repetitive movements, so dancing, moving, chanting, drumming, all that kind of stuff. This is why drummers always have wild eyes because they've got so much dopamine going through the system, right? And so basically using that to help kids to G themselves up and get inspired is really important. Second one is adrenaline, which sometimes is called by different names in different countries, but basically adrenaline makes people chatty, ratty, and scatty. So when you've got kids that's a little bit, little, 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 you know, they're all over the place. They just can't stop. They're kind of wired kids. And what really reduces, because often in families, you want to reduce the amount of adrenaline down, and it's repetition and it's ritual. Which part of the procedure don't you understand? I've got a whole lifetime to help. It will be fine. We're going to get there eventually. And our family is how we do this. It's going to be all right. We're just going to basically. So it's a really very, very conscious to take your wins out of their sales, your sales out of their wins, rather. Then cortisol is the one that basically kids become not chatty, ratty, and scatty, but almost monosyllabic. How are you? What have you been up to? Not much. What you do today? Nothing. <laughs> What, do you, what would you like to do now? Nothing. <laughs> so they're closed down. And that, this is where they become almost frightened and scared, really, and stressed out. But it's an internalised one. And kids will vary in terms of which one they go to. One of the ways I like to think about kids, that kids are a bit like belly buttons. Some are innies and some are outies, right? And so the innies, basically, it's hard to read them, what's going on with them, because they basically internalise all their bother and sometimes get sick stomachs and headaches and all that kind of stuff. The outies, everyone knows. If there's a problem, everyone knows what it is. Innies, basically, are more cortisol. Outies are more, more, more adrenaline. The last one, serotonin. Serotonin is the most powerful antidepressant known to humankind. And it's increased by feedback, acknowledgement, having your contribution recognised, um, some physical movements, of course. So not the sort of rhythmic stuff that we talked about with dopamine, but much more, let's go for a walk, let's do something here and clean something up or watch a TikTok and dance along with us, something along those lines. And also being told that you're loved really makes a big, big difference. And so just realising, and of course, it's a rough kind of, 
guide for parents to read the neurochemical balance of kids. Once you see that they're out of sorts and that probably behind that are neurochemicals that are out of sorts as well, and restoring the balance, if you like, gives a whole different way of thinking about parenting. And that's really been powerful in my practice and like the families I work with, because otherwise they're just left with kind of, what does this child mean personally about this behavior? Which often invites a personalized response. They don't like me, they don't respect me or whatever it was that we talked about earlier. Rather than thinking, okay, this kid's out of sorts and what can I do to help them get back in sorts? Wow. Uh. I'm kind of, I'm still taking in the information because we have a lot of conversations, my husband and I, about cortisol and serotonin and adrenaline, and he's a very health conscious person. And we, yeah, this is interesting to, to relate it to children. And I'm so curious because how this shifts as kids get older, as far as how to work with it. So if it's okay to give you an example, mm. I, I ask forgiveness of my daughter ahead of time when she listens to this, when she's a teenager, but, uh, you know, my daughter has this really interesting thing and I've been just so curious what scientific, what I, I feel it is a chemical thing mm. before when she's sleeping, she's sleepy, but she will look energized and, but you know, that she's asking without asking for sleep because she becomes destructive and you know, argumentative that the part that that part I can handle, but it would literally, she would go and take her artwork and shred it, or she yeah. would take her fort and she would destroy it. Like since she was very small. And in the beginning I thought, Oh my gosh, what's happening to her. And now I've learned that it means that no matter what she says, what she's doing is telling me, please, mom, take me to bed. I need to sleep. I need to calm. I need to ground myself. And she'll tell you, tell me the opposite, but her actions would be so extreme. And, and even saying things now, as she's gotten older, it's become verbal where she'll say horrific things. I didn't even know a five-year-old could think of, you know, like, I don't want you to be my mom, go away. Don't, whatever, never come back. Like just, you know, my heart just, whew. But the other part of me knows she just needs to sleep. So I would love to address that. And then I would love to translate that into how that might be different as they grow older. And you've got older kids because, of course, you can't come and say, cuddle in with me. Let's take a nap together. Maybe you could, but less likely. So if we can start first with the first piece and then graduate it, I would love because I know that's something that's come up with a lot of parents and myself. And uh, oh, please enlighten me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I can, I don't know. But um, so basically what I would guess is that she is a very person-connected person because despite the weariness, she wants to sort of find out what's going on and be in tune with people. So you know that basically the connection to people is going to be the way to, to guide, which means, of course, if you say, well, okay, you might want to sit down and kind of destroy your artwork, but I'm actually going to lie down, um, see you later. It's probably going to be a really powerful manoeuvre because guess what she's going to do? She's going to want to follow you, right? And so essentially what you're doing is helping her to realise that we're going to teach her a way of de-escalating her agitation, a way of calming down after a tough day. And the reason why we want to do this so methodically at five is because when she's 16 years of age and being so people oriented, she's out, she gets tired and she doesn't want to lose the peer connection. So she does dumb stuff, really dumb stuff, rather than realizing I need to wind back here. So we need to internalize the wind back. And so what that means is that without talking about it, it's almost like you're you're doing a test run to work out what are the, the steps in helping her just to ratchet her behavior down towards rest. And you're almost building it so that it's a system and you'll, this will take probably some years to get right. So it's okay because, you know, she's five and you don't need to kind of get it right until she's probably 10. So you've got five years to kind of just trial and error and see what, what works. Uh, eventually what you want to have is this being such a kind of routine that 
after a while, she will think to herself that she invented this system of calming down and apply it to herself. She'll forget that you've had any role to do with it at all. And that's the ideal, really. So some things just work on automatic. So I know when I feel like I destroy, you know, destroy my artwork or do something dumb, that I just need to step back and calm down for a bit. And hopefully she'll have that kind of, that's that automatic process. That's what I do. It's hard for parents you... sometimes. Sorry. Yeah, go on. No, go ahead. It's hard for parents sometimes to trust how influential the routines they put into place are, but they're incredibly powerful. Sorry, go on. No, no, that, thank you for saying that. It, it is, uh, I, I'm an, I've always been an overthinker. So I have a tendency in the moment to sort of be, you know, in quantum time, if you want to say it like this, kind of looking back and looking forward at the same time as being in the moment and not going crazy about it, but being aware that what we're doing now affects the future. And then there's that part of me that, you know, what you were talking about that thinks, oh my gosh, what happens <laughs> when she or someone like her is in school and they have a seven, eight hour day, maybe they have school till 2.45, they have, you know, activities maybe after school, uh, you know, it's, gosh, what can I, what can I give her as a tool wherever she is? Breathing is one of the things that we use. Some other things, you know, occasionally, but it's, it's now, you know, I think it's probably individual, each person, but, you know, there's that thought, maybe I'm thinking about it because she's going into kindergarten. She's going into kindy in the, in the fall for the first time. Thankfully it's only till 1230, but I think about the next year when it goes longer and I think what tools, you know, can I slowly give her so that when these moments, like you said, when she starts to recognize it, uh, what she can do without feeling like she's standing out. Like she, I don't want her to be that, Oh, she is a highly sensitive kid. She's an HSP person as I am as well. I, I get that, but I don't want it to be like, okay, a note to the teacher that when she starts to feel this way, she gets to go at it. I don't want it to be so obvious. Do you mm -hmm. have any suggestions of things that you've seen have worked with parents as far as, uh, because I have a handful of people who have got similar issues where they're just, how do I give them something that they can do without having people go, what is she doing? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, because I know so, that blending in and not standing out can be also super important for kids to not feel like the weird kid or the oversensitive kid, or maybe I'm saying that because I was the really sensitive kid who <laughs> would go off in the forest by myself and probably looked like a weirdo for it. And that's fine. Now I don't care, but I I'm hoping to give her different tools. Um, yeah, what do you, any thoughts? So, so you, you start with action. So basically, and you try to find, I mean, people do this all the time. They flick through social media postings or they grab a book or they do something that basically just brings them down. And so just trying, at this stage, there's no point trying to explain it to her. It's just basically testing out what are the reasonably naturalistic things that we can do which could be moving away. It could be going for a walk around somewhere. It could be just going and picking up something, breaking the circuit a bit. So it can be little things yeah. that make a big difference. But long-term, what you're really teaching her to do is what do you do on a bad day? And this is something we all have to learn because as much as we would like to think that our lives are going to be impeccably wonderful and fantastic, they're not. There are days when the excrement hits the air ventilation system big time. And so everyone has to have a strategy for when that day happens, what do you do? I mean, I think everyone I've ever met has had a day that the best thing that could happen to that day is they go to bed and wake up tomorrow and hope to, hope to blazes it's gone, really. And I reckon we all have those days. And so if you don't have any strategy, whether it's listening to music, basically grabbing a good book, whether it's watching a favourite show, whatever it is that works for you, long-term, you now have to have a strategy like that. And as a teenager, that's critical to have. Otherwise, it's all disastrous. So, but you're putting the seeds of it in now and say, well, try this, try that, you know, and you're basically, and some of it you won't work, of course, because that's just how it goes. You just got to, you know, it's, it's trial and error. But at the same time, you'll come across a formula that's reasonably naturalistic, acceptable socially, and is effective. And that's the thing you're looking for. 
Thank you. I mean, I think I could sit here and pick your brain for hours, but I know we're also here to talk about your latest book. And, and I, I would love to ask you, you know, because I know our time will have to come to an end and we move on to the next thing, our dinner, lunch, breakfast, in your case, maybe. Uh, and, uh, what was the, the, your favorite part? Not, not to be so kind of cliche, but which part of the book or which chapter, which section sort of lit you up or felt like this, this is it, or this is a real aha. Was there any point? I mean, I'm sure the whole book is amazing, but (laughs) you love the whole book is what I mean to say, but which was there a piece that really stood out for you as if somebody could only read one part, I'd want them to read this part of the book. I think for me, that's the pledge at the start of the book. Because the pledge, basically, I don't know whether you've read that. Not I, yet. <laughs> I haven't received I, I, my copy yet. Perhaps I, I, if it's okay, I can read it to you if that's useful yes. to do. Um, so it's a pledge that sort of talks about, it's almost a pledge from the parent to the son or daughter about their role. And um, so mm. bear with me, because I think this is basically it. Dear son or daughter, I am your parent. I am not the hired help your butler, the locator of all lost things, or an open all-hours convenience store that delivers anything you could wish for. I repeat, I am your parent. This means there are times I will use the word called no. This means what it sounds like. You will not like this word. Toughen up and get over it. There are times when you will think you hate me. There are times you think I am the worst parent on earth. There are times when you may be right, but you won't hear me admit it. As a parent, I am responsible for raising you to be a decent, successful human being who treats themselves and others with tolerance and, and respect. That is my job and I take it on willingly because I love you and I want the best for you. This means I will watch you with a level of surveillance that most intelligence agencies would envy. I will track you like a bloodhound. I will check whether you have schoolwork to do and whether you're doing it to the best of your ability. There, there may be moments of sheer delight, but inevitably there will be times of disappointment. You will not blitz every test at school, be picked for every leading role in every play or win every award or be invited to every birthday party. I won't like these setbacks any more than you will. I will to your teachers without asking for your permission. In fact, I'll talk to whomsoever I please back in your agreement. I will call the parents of your friends at times, especially when there are parties. In the house that I work to pay for, there will be rules. There will be jobs to do. You will not like all of these rules and you will certainly not like all of these jobs. These rules are in place so that I do not go crazy while raising you. These jobs are there so you can learn that responsible people make a positive contribution to others. You have the right to argue. You do not have the right to remain silent or brush me off with vague comments like whatever, don't know, or that is so random. I'm sure we are going to get along just fine. Through this, please know that I love you for who you are and will continue to do so even if you stuff up. Love your parent. And I think being the adult, controlling essentially the climate of a family is such a critical thing in these days. While we would like to think that families work well as democracies, and generally they do, long-term they work best as benevolent dictatorships. So you need to have somebody who's in charge and that's the adults. So families work best when you can trust, as a kid, you can trust to do pretty much what the big guy, the big girl says, because, you know, generally it works out well. It's, and basically that's the way that family is going to work best. So it doesn't mean you don't consult or get their ideas and get their input, but at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision. That person's the parent. Mm. Thank you for integrating so many things together in one place, because I think there's so much guilt and wonder and worry and thoughts of, you know, am I supposed to be the friend or the, you know, authoritarian, just the dictator, like really hardcore, you know, control over everything. And, uh, and what you read really pulls it all together 
you know, with I, you feel the, the kindness, but the strength and that what I felt when I was listening to it, because that's, <laughs> I, I feel more than I think is more, is, is that the, giving them a place to relax into and to fall back into. So as much as they might fight against a lot of what the things that you mentioned, as you mentioned in that, um, that excerpt, it's just so important. You, you put it in such a clear way, that reminder of that's what childhood is about, is about not having to make all those decisions. And uh, sometimes we forget that in our uh, rebellion, perhaps against our own past or experiences, like just give them all the freedom in the world, but that's actually so incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for putting that so beautifully and you guys are going to get to read the rest of what comes after that <laughs> as soon as you grab that book up I think after May 1st right that's right so thank you so much thank you Andrew uh, I really really appreciate uh, all your thoughts and your candor and authenticity um, that grounded feeling I have from you just um, listening to your voice and voicing for young people and, and creating that, uh, that journey and helping us to do the same for our kids so that no one ends up, you know, at the other end, you know, um, wanting to depart before they've completed their uh, mission for the earth, whatever that is, uh, in a joyful way. And I think it's a, it's a constant, uh, like you said, the push me, pull me, the up and down, like life is, we're going to be imperfect and we're going to, mess up and we're going to uh, misguide, but uh, you are giving us a guide to do our best and to be conscious and present. Thank you. Thanks. You know, I really <laughs> appreciate it. It's a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Very Imperfect Parenting Podcast. If you'd like a little more like live coaching sessions, then jump into facebook.com backslash IP parents. You can also write me at ariel at imperfectparenting.net or jump on that site for other resources like book reviews and other fun things. If you would just share with one person or let one person know about this podcast, that helps us a lot. As well, we have Patreon with extra privileges and have a beautifully imperfect day. Thank you so much for being out there.